Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life Your Term show, we have Felix Vortzman, who sits down with myself and Nick to chat about his real estate adventures. This is one guy who just does not take no for an answer. I've seen him go into properties and then face different local you know, bylaws and regulations to do things properly, and he always does the things properly, but it doesn't mean he's not battling different bylaw officers to get approval for different things because if you've ever dealt with real estate in some communities around the GTA, you know that getting final approval on different property updates is sometimes a huge challenge. But that doesn't stop Felix. And on this episode, we talk about all his different adventures. He's a trained accountant, but we do not hold that against him. He's still a good guy. And I say that jokingly, of course. You always want good accountants floating around in your life. So on this episode, it's a bit of an update with Felix. Nick comes in, I think, about 10 or 15 minutes after we start to chat with him and uh, enjoy the discussion. If you are listening to this and you want to get involved in some real estate projects of your own, whether it's just a turnkey solution, whether it's a student rental, a duplex, you're looking for the magical fixer-upper, you're trying to do the burr strategy, whatever it is that you're trying to do, you can reach out to us or find some information on all this type of stuff at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. We have reports, we have books, we have videos, links to podcast episodes, everything that you need there by Canadians, for Canadians. We work with thousands of Canadian investors on thousands and thousands of properties. We try to share as much as we can on the website in different media forms. You can go there to enjoy it all. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the episode. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Felix Vortzman. Felix, you were born in Canada. No. Well, you were born in Russia. I was born in the former USSR, a country that doesn't exist anymore. The former USSR. Dude, that sounds serious. Where, where in the former USSR? Uh, the Middle East portion, basically, uh, in Uzbekistan, of all places. Got it. But, so your family's from there origi- originally? Um, my parents were born there, but uh, my uh, grandparents were born in the Ukraine, Belarusia, and Poland. So I'm kind of like the Heinz 57 Eastern European. Yeah, wow. Holy smokes, man. And then USSR. So do you have one of those cool USSR hockey journey jerseys from back in the day? No. That would be pretty epic, man. I used to look at those jerseys. I was like, these are pretty awesome looking jerseys. Anyway, so then you come to Canada when? I came to Canada in 1980. In 19, 40 years ago. 1980. And you go to school here. You become an accountant. Yes. Correct? God by profession, you're an accountant. I'm a CA by profession. That's you chose this on purpose. Um, I, I was. It was a choice between becoming a chef, a visual artist, or or an accountant. I just took an accounting course and uh, found an affinity uh, for it. And uh, where? What school? Uh, high school. Yeah, high school. High, t- high school was Newtonbrook, which is in North York. And uh, then I went to York University to get my undergrad. Uh, did my uh, articling. Uh, got my accounting designation and uh, kind of progressed, uh, got sick and tired of it pretty darn quick because I'm a very forward-looking individual. And uh, the reason why I got out of public practice is because it's all backward-looking. You're looking at what, what already transpired. 
Whereas I'm the type of individual that likes to do, you know, continuous improvements, you know, um, optimizing operations. And that's essentially where I ended up in the, in the corporate world. I, uh, yeah, that's interesting because we on, on that note, when you're an accountant, you are almost looking at the relics of past decisions. You know, the balance sheet, you're looking at the income statement there. And these are all things that are a result today based on things that have already been done. And I guess you can make forward projections based off those, looking at the history of them and that kind of stuff. But you're not going to be the one even to do those things. Um, so, yeah, I guess to be an accountant, you really have to really like the numbers. And, and that wasn't you. I could never I could never I could never be an accountant. Sorry, I cut you off. You, you said you, were, you do like the numbers. Uh, well, the numbers thing, I mean, I, I never went to grade one in Canada. I kind of skipped over it altogether. But um, by the time I went into grade two, I already knew all my multiplication tables. I was always excelled on math. Uh, I mean, my, my parents instilled that that was a very important subject uh, to excel in. Um, so to me, it was kind of a, a nice progression, basically, yeah, going it. forward. But I, I am artistic by nature, so kind of a weird animal that way. You don't see too many accountants that are very creative. Um, I tend to be very creative, but also very good at the numbers as well. And then, so how do you transition? Uh, so out of the accounting world, when do you start hitting real estate? I don't get it. How does that, how does that, walk me through that. You leave the accounting world, then you go into what? So during the accounting world, even before I actually got my first um, articling job within accounting, um, I think in a previous podcast, we kind of covered up uh, over these type of things. I can't remember yesterday sometimes, so I need you to remind me. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I actually bought my first property with OSAP money. I don't know if you recall this. Now I recall that because I remember thinking yeah. that was brilliant because I took my OSAP money and I went to Acapulco multiple times and lent my, lent my friend's money to also join me in Acapulco. That took me years to recoup and pay back that damn OSAP loan. So much smarter. Yeah, good for you. Well, okay. I, I don't know if it was more smarter, basically. Well, <laughs> financially, yes. Fun-wise, not so much, you know. Um, so I bought a condo first, my first condo and my last condo. Uh, I don't invest in condos anymore. And uh, we owned that condo for about a year, renovated it, um, sold it, lost five Gs on it. Um, and back in the day, uh, one of my friend's uh, parents used to invest in income properties in, in the North York area. And we used to get a call every couple of months to say, hey, we need, we need your friends. One of my buddies basically called us up saying, my mom needs you. And we knew what that meant. It meant basically taking out a bunch of heavy stoves and, uh, and, uh, and, and fridges out of a basement unit, let's say, and uh, replacing it with an equally used one that still worked, um, you know, enough to give you a hernia, essentially. So there's four of us that needed to basically bring these things down. And uh, I, I kind of started talking to her about it, like, why would you do this? This is absolutely bonkers. Um, and, and pulling she, out a dirty stove from some corner of a basement unit, you're just looking around saying, what is this nonsense, right? And crazy. back then they made appliances like properly, so they were actually really heavy. That's why you needed them. Now you can kind of whip those things around pretty easy. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you were questioning her, and I could see why you would question her. Yeah, so she kind of explained the whole thing to me. So when I bought my condo and sold it, I'm like going, well, the reason why I sold the condo is because we're paying out of pocket every single month. Uh, on the condo. So I decided to sell the condo and buy myself a semi-detached home um, with a basement unit. And what we did is we rented out that basement unit to students to the point where the student rentals 
Uh, we're covering all of our mortgages, uh, mortgage costs. Uh, when you say we, who are you referring to here? So it was myself and my dad that purchased the condo. Uh, I was just too young to, to qualify for a mortgage, so I had to go uh, with my dad. And uh, we lived on the main floor, uh, renovated that place. And uh, what we were receiving in rental income for the basement was enough to cover all of our carrying costs other than maybe utilities. So you're li- literally living almost like for free. Um, and uh, during the tech bubble days, you know, I invested, you know, it was doing really well until everything went to zero. Um, and it, oddly enough, it's the real estate that kind of bailed my butt out because I was actually floating a lot of these investments. Again, I didn't have a pot to piss in. <laughs> so I was actually taking advantage of these zero interest rate credit cards in order to fund my um, stock investments. Oh, shit. So when the market crashed, I found myself in the hole by well over $100,000. No way. Yeah. Oh, um, so what uh, what ended up happening is when I finally got married, we sold that property off. That property actually paid off all my debts, essentially. Yeah, good for you. So it, it worked out really well. Um, and then in the back of my mind, ever since then, I was always kind of exploring investment opportunities in the GTA market. Never pulled the trigger. I, again, kind of an analysis paralysis. Phase. Is that when we crossed paths? We crossed paths. Actually, it's been 10 years. It's been Has it been years that in long? October? Yeah. So was that the the was that the thing the catalyst to get you started in it, or were you already buying some properties before meeting us? I was other not, than what you've already done. I was not buying properties back then, but I was exploring the Florida market after the financial crisis hit. Oh, got it. Okay. And uh, we, my my in laws bought a condo there. We went down there, and I spent most of the time instead of going on the beach, I actually took out a real estate agent and started exploring the areas and. Uh, Came to the conclusion that I could make it work. Uh, told my wife, I'm like, well, we can make it work, but we're going to have to move here. And she's like going, no way in heck am I moving down to Florida. So <laughs> that was an interesting time, though, because the Canadian dollar was at par around that time. Even you, higher. You, yeah, slightly higher. U.S. prices had come down. So there was this little window there where it was really, really attractive to dive into the Florida market. I have a few friends who did, and they've done really well because of just that timing was so bang on. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, it kind of sparked my interest even uh, more uh, with uh, real estate investing. So when we came back uh, back home from that vacation, um, I started exploring opportunities closer to home. Um, and that's kind of where I, I found you guys on the web somehow. Uh, I don't even recall. Oh, we stalked you, dude. We, we, we had some ads running and then we send you emails until you say submit. And then we, we literally send someone to your house in a, with a car who picks you up and drives you to our introductory training class. That's how we get you. Well, that's what, not the way I remember. No. I think it was uh, some Croatian big guy with a baseball bat yeah. saying either you come or, <laughs> you or, you imagine? or we take out your kneecaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah, got it. So you found us. Then you started working with, I think, Mike, Mike originally. Germany, yes. You did a rent to own. I did a number of rent owns. Did you do a number of them? Okay. And so so let me understand that. You you meet us because we hardly do any rent to owns anymore because everyone's convinced property prices will just go up forever and we're not, you know, no one ever wants to sell a property anymore. But back then in that era, that was like a, a, a formula or strategy that kind of re- really worked nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it for you when you heard that particular strategy? What, what, what got you to go in that direction? I like the fact that uh, you could buy property turnkey, rent it out, get a nice sizable deposit. Um, and I've done really well with uh, with the deposits, um, and it, it enabled you to expand your real estate portfolio um, quite quickly. Uh, as a result, um, because I received quite a lot of substantial deposits, uh, I was able to scale the, my investments relatively quite quickly. Actually, I picked up. 
probably about five properties within a couple of year period, essentially. So you were leveraging the option fee. So if you, if you don't know what a rent, how rent to own works, it's typically two agreements, a lease agreement and an option agreement. Someone's moving into a rent to own because for some reason in their lives, they don't have great credit, but they have good income and they have some ability to offset their low credit by giving you an option fee or a down payment that would work towards going to buy the house should they choose to buy it at the end of the lease. So it's, a lot of people refer to that money as a down payment. Technically, it's an option fee is the way that's discussed. And you're, the reason that you, the investor, are, are getting that is in exchange for accepting somebody with poor credit. That's kind of the trade-off in that moment. But they have to have good income. And you were able to collect um, good size option fees that you then took and redeployed into the market to pick up more properties. Correct. I, I, I collected well over $100,000 in option fees. Um, and that enabled me to scale my investments very quickly. Um, and back then, obviously, the real estate prices were substantially lower than here. So 100000 would get you quite a long yeah, way. Yeah, but when you were doing that, even then people thought, pro were you doing this mostly in Hamilton at that time? I was. Okay, so in Hamilton, you were probably buying uh, ten, that, at that time 230 to 280 somewhere in that there kind of, depending when you kind of met us. Um, but at that time, I'll tell you, people in Hamilton thought the prices were insane because it, you know, because they had seen them lower before. But then there was people like us who grew up in Mississauga driving over to Hamilton going, wait a second, you can buy a fully detached three-bedroom home here on like a 50-foot wide lot for two hundred dollars or $265,000? Are you kidding me? And the rents are pretty much similar to what you're getting in Mississauga. We couldn't believe what we were seeing out there. You know, we were, we were so in shock that I think we thought for a little while, are we doing something wrong? You know when you're like, why is not everybody running out here doing this? We would have ran harder and faster knowing what we know now, obviously. But uh, okay, so you did that. And so I just want to ask you something at this point. When you did that with your accounting background, what was it that you liked most about single family homes? Was it the cash flow, the income component, the debt being paid down? It was a self-liquidating asset, you know, paid for itself. What, what was it in your mind? It wasn't anything as sophisticated as that. Uh, in my mindset, it was, I got sick and tired of the corporate world. I needed to find a way out. Uh, I found real estate to be a great vehicle to do it. And uh, as I mentioned, it's not as if like, you know, I did it on the fly or impulsively. I've been e evaluating the, these type of opportunities for well over a decade before I really jumped into it. And um, I was looking for financial freedom. How the heck do I get out of the corporate world? Because back then I was already a CFO, um, you know, uh, for several mid-sized corporations in uh, the renovation and the construction field. So I had that kind of background behind me as well. Did a lot of system implementations, but I got sick and tired of the politics. You know, when you're an underling, you know, uh, when you start off in an entry-level position, you're being fed bullshit. When you're an executive, you're forced to feed bullshit to people. And I, I, I could not do it any longer. You know, I, if I don't believe in something, then forget about it. It doesn't matter how much money basically is offered on uh, that stage. And it eats at your soul. It does. It does. And at the end of the day, you're killing yourself. I mean, as an accountant, I was working 16-hour days. It was, it was, it was absolutely insane. My, my, uh, again, these were mid-sized businesses, like multi-million dollar mid-sized businesses with like 18 corporation, group of 18 corps. Um, and the president was calling me basically at every 
hour of the day and night, uh, you know, even even like on weekends, you know, it was it was it was chaotic. It was just absolutely insane. Why is he calling you that time? So just different reports they needed to run. They needed to see different statements run in certain time periods. Like what? what are you? Not, I'm trying to pretend I know what I'm talking about. What a CFO would do. No, <laughs> you print off some papers with some numbers on them. And you show them to him. Nothing, nothing logical like that. It was just like crazy stuff like that. The stuff he shouldn't have been calling me about. Like he went on vacation to Florida. He's like going well. My uh, visa just got declined at a, at a transaction. Uh, oh, did we it. pay okay. our visa bill? I'm like going, yes, we did, but they're probably basically flagging you because you're out of the country. I go, he's like going, well, go fix it. I'm like going, well, have you tried calling the credit card company to advise them that you're out of the country? And, oh gosh, you know, stupid oh, stuff gosh. like that. And then there were a couple of, uh, you know, again, this was during the height of the financial crisis. This is a multi-unit renovation company that had over 1,500 contractors. And uh, back then, the major clients, which is essentially the who's who of all the REITs, they were hard for cash. So it, it was a really chaotic time to the point where we were doing work for the clients, but the clients were not paying us. And because they weren't paying us, we could not pay the trades. So my first day on the job in that specific place is like, okay, everybody drop everything, you know, emergency meeting somewhere. Main suppliers are ready to basically bail <laughs> on us. <laughs> You know, we got to figure out what to do. And they maxed out all of their line of credit, essentially. And within six months of being there, I'm like going, this is insane. This is absolutely crazy. Uh, within six months, um, you know, I was able to get them to pay off that line of credit um, through working through a bunch of audits down there, you know, GSD, HSD, WSIB audits. Again, this is a So by doing these audits, you were finding just lumps of cash that they could save that you could then apply to, you know, the actual means of business. Yeah, there was uh, the previous guy that was there before me. He was a CA and a lawyer of all things. So, but he was more interested in being a lawyer. Uh, and <laughs> so he was giving the auditors and they were ongoing G HST and GSD and the corporate uh, tax audits, basically ongoing for all 18 companies. Um, and he was just giving the auditors the runaround. Um, by the time I kind of got my teeth into uh, into the details, um, I was able to not only basically get uh, all the auditors off their backs, complete the audits, but I actually found another three hundred and fifty thousand dollars refund. And is that the low hanging fruit fruit often for somebody in your role going into those kind of buckets where people are paying taxes and just seeing where the companies are overpaying? It was it, it was actually much more involved than that because I was a process improvement specialist at that stage. I, well, I went, this is now sounding very serious. Well, it went above and beyond your typical CFO role. Um, again, it was it was not just looking at the low hanging fruit within the audits. So I found a good chunk of change there, of course, and got the auditors off our backs, got them all resolved. But in addition to that, their systems uh, had uh, had massive gaps to the point where you know I started running SQL queries, you know, with uh, with my staff. Oh, and, got it! Wow. And, and we found like a half a million dollars of unbuilt revenue essentially there from like a, you know six months to a year ago. So that obviously improved things uh, on our end as well. Um, made process improvements within operations because operations was pointing fingers at finance, finance was pointing fingers at operations, and it was just cluster you know what right yeah, got it so i got everybody coming together got everybody working together set up systems in place to ensure that everybody had full clarity in regards to who's responsible for what and where the gaps and where the bottlenecks were and who's holding up yeah uh, who, who, so when the systems are that choppy nobody has visibility to actually where 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 the bottlenecks are because you can't even you can't get the information that you need it's all just in different silos yeah and you don't know what's built what isn't built yeah. and uh, there was a significant turnover with their account managers and account uh, account staff on the operational side 
And let's say somebody was either let go or decided to leave the company. They had up like a stack of papers basically on their desks. Nobody knew what the heck it was. They could have been completed okay. jobs. All right, disaster. Them. We can. That's a disaster. Yeah. I can see why you wanted to leave there. So, so that you get those rent-to-own properties. You, 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 you. What's the transition? When do you get your real estate license? When you get those rent-to-own properties going, is that when you quit the corporate world? No, no. So obviously, and for any listener that's listening, it's not something that you I would advise transitioning off to immediately. So it was a seed that I basically planted back in 2010 with, with the intent of leaving the corporate world over a four to five year period. And by 2015, that's early 2015, that's exactly what I did. I, I found myself in a, a position that I had enough investment properties that I can actually leave the corporate world and got my real estate license, mainly not to become a real estate agent, but predominantly for me to source properties, get some commissions off of it as a buyer's agent uh, to provide me with further seed capital for any of my future purchases uh, within the real estate field. Um, just so happened that family and friends started taking notice in what I was doing and started asking me for help, saying, hey, I love what you're doing. Can you help me out? And it kind of ballooned out there, like from, from a real estate side. And then so how do you, so I want to ask you about your next steps, because I know you're doing different conversions and all this kind of stuff. Um, when, when a family member comes to you, uh, Nick's joined us now too, so... Nick, I know I turned on your mic. You're allowed to be heard now. Can you we, hear me? Yes, we can Great. completely hear you. Um, we, uh, when, when a family member comes to you, what is it that you find you're having to explain most about real estate? You know, I, I'm, I'm sure people are coming to you and saying, hey, I want to get it. What is it that you're trying to get them over the hump with? Uh, I find that uh, most people uh, go through a state of denial. And what I mean by that is most of my clients are in the GTA. Obviously, everybody wants to invest as close as possible to their homes. Um, so a lot of these individuals uh, that I deal with, they go through a state of denial saying, well, can't I look at something, let's say, Newmarket or, or, or Richmond Hill instead of Toronto? And I'm like going, Richmond Hill? Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you can. <laughs> sure, you can. I have to explain to them. I go, I live in Vaughan, right? I'm going out to places as far as Fort Erie, Welland area, Berries of the world uh, at this stage. I, I, I have to impress upon them that, believe me, if I could do closer to home myself, I would. Uh, but the numbers simply don't make sense uh, to invest in these specific municipalities, such as G the GTA specifically. So the opportunities exist for those that are uh, they're looking, they're willing to go further afield. You know what's blowing my mind? Sorry, I have to share this at this point. You know what's blowing my mind? We just had some new Rockstar Inner Circle members walk in here. They had been reading about investing for 20 years. They're from Mumbai, India. They are thrilled. They're literally thrilled that they live in the Toronto area, that they can drive only about an hour away and find awesome income properties. And get this. Only put, and I'm putting air quotes when I say this, only put 20% down because in Mumbai, to make anything work, they would have to put 80% down. This particular person owns multiple income properties out there for commercial purposes. He has to buy them cash at 100% down. So when he's here, and Mike was explaining to him, you can put 20% down, their eyes are lighting up. This is what I find I have to tell most Canadians, that you have to sometimes shake them to, to your point that they're in denial. They don't see the opportunity. It's not seeing the forest for the trees. That, you know, they think an hour is far. You have people coming into the into Canada here freaking out that they can get like these amazing opportunities at 20% down yeah. with a good banking system, with property managers, you know, and, and good uh, a tenant act. And we can all debate the tenant act. I know you're going to have some opinions on the tenant <laughs> act, but, you know, we, we have a tenant act in place to kind of protect the landlords and the tenants. Yeah. And the flip side is, too, that, you know, see, because I was listening to what you were saying, Felix, and it makes a lot of sense, but 
I think sometimes that's like your approach and that's numbers that you like. But for some other investors, they can invest in Vaughn very happily and get good returns. No different than some of the Oakville properties that we have. And we're happy and I can find an Oakville property that I would buy today. Are the, are the cash flow numbers, um, depending on the strategy, going to see what you're seeing with the, the things you're doing well? And no, probably not. But it doesn't mean that I can't invest, get a return and be very happy with, with what I'm getting. And I think we've seen that too with a lot of people um, you know, investors get used to a certain thing and that's their favorite. So they're, they try to just, they don't try to guide people that way, but, but they're like, this is, this is the way you should go. Because this is that, the way. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like, well, you know what, if there's a dentist that's sitting on 4 million bucks in his bank account, he might not care about that place in Welland. He might just want to park his money in a couple properties and watch what happens long-term. And if he can break even on these properties, he's more than happy with, with that type of stuff. So that, and I think did, that's did, something we got to be careful of with that. Totally. And when I'm, when I'm kind of chuckling at Richmond Hill, I think someone's different, uh, you're at different stages because if, if you're going to buy a property in Richmond Hill and put 50% down or 100% down because then later you're going to redevelop that and kind of double that sure. money. So there's a million reasons why you'd buy a property in different places that might not make sense when you're purely looking at it for a cash flow with least amount of money down. For sure. And, and it could still be an awesome thing. So yeah, your, your point makes total sense. My perspective is a little bit different. So take real estate off the table. Think of investments in general. When you're looking at investments, you typically want to maximize your returns while mitigating your risks. Right. And even if we don't take real estate into consideration, you can pick a stock, you can pick any other investment you could possibly think of. The main uh, um, goal here is to maximize your returns while mitigating your risks. Right. Based on those dynamics, areas within the GTA will not achieve that, generally speaking. Right. You're, you're absolutely correct. There are properties out there that you could potentially. Sure, pick I see up where you're coming from. Yeah. You want to maximize the money that you're putting into it correct. and you want to at the same time minimize the risk. And you're saying that in some of those higher priced areas, you're not going to achieve that definition. And you're exposing yourself to substantial risk because you're dealing with a market that is um, uh, driven a lot by speculation because a lot of the profitability there is mainly geared towards income appreciation. So from that perspective, it's quite risky. And the higher you go up, the, the harder you fall, typically speaking, as with any You think investment. so? I believe so. Yeah. Well, Here, I'll, 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 I'll give you the flip side of that. So you're, if we're talking Welland specifically. Mm -hmm. So because we've looked at all these numbers and the flip side to that is like, look, the, what, if, if there's certain things aren't happening in the Toronto area and things are going up and there's a demand in the Toronto area, places like Hamilton and Welland, St. Catharines, or on the other side of the city, if we're uh, looking out at some places, the Durham region or up in uh, Brooklyn, Ontario, places like that don't get near the demand or price appreciation because there's not the outflow of funds coming from Toronto. And we've seen proof of that over the last decade. So now we have the benefit of hindsight and we've seen, we've seen recent historical proof of of the the changes in Toronto driving the demand in all these other areas, so that's that's the that's the flip side to to your argument because your argument's Correct. accurate. I get where you're coming from, but I just that's that's the flip side. So because if you're not watching what's going on in Toronto, you're just you you there's some different dynamics. Maybe the risk profile's changed a bit, but you're just as exposed to some some of the the trends that are happening in the Toronto area, even if you're investing in the outside of the GTA area. You're absolutely correct. So when I invest in, in these specific municipalities, the way I see it is you're essentially investing in the GTA market, yet indirectly. So you're basically benefiting from the dynamics, the real estate uh, supply and demand dynamics within the GTA market. And the reason why these areas are lower risk 
and we've seen this in 2017 when uh, the market uh, kind of tanked in Toronto. Um, take a look at the uh, market corrections within some of these outlying areas. Hold on, hold on. Wait, I, I got to stop you there for just for a second because I want to because I, I just want to make sure we're giving good information to people. The market didn't really tank in Toronto. There was a uh, there was a downturn from a, a peak that was hit it over about a ninety day period, and there's a downturn from that. But the the year over year appreciation numbers were actually still is still Correct. strong numbers. So there was no tanking of the market. In, in the in the Toronto market and most market, I mean you can't say anything in any market, but there really wasn't because there was a, a run up of appreciation of you know in some cases thirty to fifty percent in three months. Mm-hmm. So because the prices came down, that's that's like it's just that's not. I don't feel like that's you know to if we're trying to share kind of what's going on in the, in the Toronto market with people, I don't think that we're doing you're, justice you're, with that. Right? You're, you're absolutely correct. Nick. I mean, like uh, the reality is, we can't take a look at the GTA market in its entirety. You have to actually split it up. Back in uh, back in 2017, it was a tale of two cities, as it is right now, except right now we flipped. And uh, t- as an explanation to that. The low-rise market was going sky high in the GTA uh, just before the fair housing plan came out. Um, that took the major hit. However, of course, nobody basically says that. Uh, uh, nobody basically uh, admits that the year prior everything kind of went up by 35, 40 percent. In which case, you know, the market kind of corrected by about 30 percent, 35, depending on which area neighborhood you're dealing with. That's on one side, the low-rise market. On the other hand. Once that correction came in, uh, came about within the low-rise segment, the high-rise market, on the other hand, so people, even after the markets went down, uh, the the market prices went down the low-rise market, uh, anybody who was waiting on the sideline, you know, at the end of the day, if it was a million eight and now it dropped down to a million two, most people would not be able to afford that. So what ended up happening during that time frame is there was a switch. So people went between low-rise and and transition into high-rise. Yeah, the gap between so yeah we study all these this yeah. numbers so the gap between low rise and high rise got so large that the, the high rise property started looking better again and then what happened is the price over the last few years is the that drove strong price appreciation in the high rise market and then that gap now got smaller and obviously covid contributed to this as well but when, once that gap gets smaller then the low rise market becomes appealing again because people are like well it's not actually that much more for me to go for a low rise why don't i try to get into that market and then because of low interest rates and stuff like that this year people were able to but, but so it's that it's it's actually what what happens it's the price gap between low rise and high rise that drives that shifting dynamic back and forth depending on the area i think it was something a bit different than that uh, back in 2017 i want to get back you, to your story in a second because you two are going to go back and forth <laughs> I feel like I'm watching table tennis going yeah. back and forth here. But uh, you said something about, about Rich, the Richmond Hill market and the way you analyzed kind of the market. And I, I look at it just a little bit differently. Um, it, to me, it's not banking on incomes that are driving those prices. To me, what's happening in Toronto is you shove a lot of people into one area and then you have a monetary policy that drops interest rates and the incomes don't have to change for people to be able to afford more property and then it drives prices. So like incomes can stay flat, but if you drop the carrying cost by like half, not quite half actually, I'm, I'm just talking about the rates, but actual carrying cost, if you drop the carrying cost by 20, 10%, 15%, 20, 25%, you really then push the prices up. You do, but- well, uh, We saw that this year, right? Yeah, that's exactly so that's kind of the way year. I look at the Toronto market instead of income, I, and we're splitting hairs here a little bit. We just look at it, we come at it from different different angles, that's well, all. And, and you have very valid points, but the reality is if you're looking at what's affordable to the masses, 
how many people do you know that can afford yeah, a million true. dollar plus property? True. And yeah, how much definitely. income do they need to generate in order to get a mortgage and stuff like that? With a 20% down. Right. Obviously, you can make almost any uh, property cash flow positive, just put 100% down. You're so done. this is your framework to think then, okay, uh, Toronto is what it is, but I see the you know higher return, lower risk in these outlying areas. Yeah, and also from an appreciation perspective, I mean, how much you have to, it will take quite a bit to move the needle on the GTA market from an appreciation perspective, given the low of, uh, lack of affordability within that market versus some of these outlying areas, which are much more affordable. And as a result of that, the appreciation, and I don't exclusively focus on appreciation. In fact, it's secondary to me. But if you're looking at, from an appreciation standpoint, it will take much less to move the appreciation needle in some of these outlying municipalities that are within commuting distance of the GTA um, versus the GTA market alone. So I think a lot of the major price gains have already been made in the GTA. Um, and that's why even anecdotally speaking, if you're looking at the appreciation rates without, within the outlying municipalities right now, you could see that they've been kicking ass versus anything that's been happening within the GTA mm -hmm. market. Um, to Tom's point, that goes and that goes back to income because the income in those areas is higher than what it takes to afford the, the the, 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 the average house. So because with a lot of Toronto people grow, driving out with, there, with room to grow. Yeah, yeah. That, but that's what we've seen for a number of years in all these outlying areas, right? So to to your point, it's the income and the drop. It's interesting. You it from a slightly different perspective than we typically come at it. Like his Felix, your the way Felix looks at it, just slightly. It's similar but slightly different. Well, it's Felix, so he's only gonna. Yeah. He's only. He's not gonna give anyone <laughs> anyone anything so. except yeah, for yeah, it's yeah, his yeah, way. Or yeah, 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 no, yeah, no, that's yeah. that's not true. I mean, like like I said, you bring up a lot of valid points. All, all your points are extremely valid, and and they're actually driving the real estate markets for these outlying municipalities. Yeah. But to your point, you're right. If 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 there's some major shift within the GTA market where, let's say, the immigration and the influx of population is not increasing, it stops. Let's say, clearly, you know, and and prices plummet to the point where it's now affordable to the masses. I haven't seen that happen. People have been calling for that type of correction from God knows when. Since 1998. Yeah. and But the reality is, I mean, if you're looking at a million dollar plus property, how much income do you have to earn in order to afford a mortgage on something mm, like that? I know. But I, the, the thing to that point is that in with that logic, then shouldn't like, you know, remove the condo market. So the, let's look at the low rise market in, in Oakville. We're in Oakville. Let's look at Oakville or Mississauga. Mm -hmm. Then no one should be moving into those markets. Like, like there should be no demand for low-rise housing because pretty much in, all, in those areas, the average thing is just under a million bucks, right? It's, it's in the nine, it's just it's in like the nine fifty range. So then there should be no demand for low-rise housing. So housing. So there is the thing is there is demand because to Tom's point, these low interest rates, these artificially low interest rates that have changed the carrying costs, that kind of skews everything. And and there is demand, but you have to understand if you put yourself in the shoe of a first-time buyer today. Okay, the, the vast majority of the individuals that can afford those type of properties within the low-rise market, within the GTA, uh, they're one of two people. One, very wealthy, that they could actually afford to buy something of, of, uh, within that price point, or somebody who got into the real estate market several years ago and now is able to make a move up. Yep. So to them, increasing a mortgage of two dollars $300,000, who cares, right? But if you're starting up right now and your income level, you know, is seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year? You're priced out. Yeah, yeah, it's no, tough. No. It's the so same where, conversation that we had ten years yeah. ago with the price. It's no so different. So where, where is the opportunity? So when you're talking to the, I think this started when we, when I asked you, you know, when you're explaining to people where to invest. So if you tell them what are some of your favorite areas and what have you been doing out there? Because I know you've been busy. So if you, if you get someone to say, you know, 
I'll, okay, I'll fine, I'll go outside of Toronto. Where have you been active and what have you been doing out there? So I started up in Hamilton because uh, I, I drank your Kool-Aid. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But uh, as I mentioned, it's not something that I did impulsively. Um, I, in very short order, I actually picked up, uh, firmed up on two properties. In fact, my second property that I firmed up on was actually the first one I closed on. The first one had a longer closing date. Um, and I went, jumped with two feet basically into the Hamilton market. Um, but I, but I viewed basically properties on the Hamilton mountain. Um, and it's a testament to the coaches basically at rockstar. I mean, like they really hold your hand, they have your back. Um, you know, Mike did an amazing job and I started exploring areas within Hamilton. We also, uh, looked at areas in, in the Waterloo region as well. Um, and then once I started investing in Hamilton, did a couple of rent to own deals, I decided to kind of expand, uh, diversify not with, uh, within different investment uh, theses, but uh, within the, uh, through ge- geography. So I went from Hamilton, bought a number of properties there, then bought properties in Brantford, uh, then bought a few in Barrie. Um, I and- forgot about your Barrie stuff. Yeah. Was that duplexes in Barrie or something? No, what were you no. doing in Barrie? Uh, so back then, 2015, 2016, I was purchasing two-story, two-car garage, fully de- attached homes in really nice areas for... 350 ish. Oh my God. 360. Wow. Okay. And, and once. Did we tell you we, we took an equitable stake in all your properties? No, <laughs> oh, that was the, yeah, we we that was the fine brand, Felix. We, we haven't delivered those brand? documents yeah. to the lawyer. We yeah. gave you the Kool Aid, but with the Kool Aid, we actually got you signed a piece of paper saying that we have equitable interest in all these properties. Got, but don't I, worry. Don't worry. You just hang on to it for now. One day we'll uh, just come calling. <laughs> but, and, uh, and, and, but I was still kind of uh, investing in Hamilton as well. So I got my real estate license in the early 2015. Um, Got out of the corporate world of 2015 as well, um, made that transition, started accumulating some clients as well, basically, uh, from a real estate side of things. And my clients essentially went to invest in exactly the same municipalities that I was investing in personally. And uh, what I had a pretty good knack of doing is figuring out what the next best area is going to be. So between 2015 and 2016, I kind of slowed down uh, my, my operations in picking up properties in both Barrie and Hamilton. And uh, in 2016, I started focusing on Niagara region um, because I felt that that's where the, the, the risk reward dynamics made perfect sense um, and kind of went full steam ahead there. And my clients kind of followed me there and uh, they did extremely well there as well. And in 2015 was also the very first time I actually did a, a single family to a two unit conversion, just so happened to be in Hamilton. Um, learned a ton doing going through that project. Went through a really bad uh, JV um, within that deal as well, but I have since bought out my JV partner, so that that headache is gone. And um, bought several other properties with a, a, another JV partner. We own several basically together as well. And kind of started specializing, got outside of the RTO. That was when I was started to cycle out of RTOs into the single family to multi-unit conversions. And that's where I basically started specializing in. Um, it kind of progressed from there. So I did conversions in Hamilton. I did conversions in Niagara Falls. I did conversions in St. Catharines, Welland, um, did single family to two units. Can you give us the numbers on one in St. Catharines? What is a purchase price? Give us the year purchase. Just kind of outline it just so we get it. So someone who's not familiar with that market gets an idea of what's going on. So the first one we purchased was a single family home and we rented it as a single family home. We just converted it uh, earlier this year into a two unit. And, uh, the purchase price it will be irrelevant because what I purchased it back sure. in 2016, but there, uh, there was another one I purchased in 2018. It was a semi, uh, four level backs with semi, uh, finished conversion of that in, um, last year. So what did you buy it for that one in 2018? 300 K. 
So 300,000 in 2018. Now you converted it this year? Uh, no, last Sorry, year. Sorry, last, last year. Last year in August, basically. And what do you get on rents last year after uh, converting it? 1,800 for the main floor plus water and hydro, and lower level is 1,550 plus water and hydro. Got it. Semi. So 1,853. So 3,300. And then are you seeing that? Were you surprised at those, by the way, those prices? Um, no, no. I mean, like I'm, I'm immersed in the marketplace myself, so I kind of know you what the rental rates it. are. This, this is the biggest point. So for anyone listening, when you hear us talk about property prices and something that I think a lot of my own friends don't seem to look at is, uh, I'll get a lot of questions of, around property prices cannot go up forever. Nick gets this, we get this all the time. And I, we keep telling people, it's not that property prices can go up forever. It's that what people are going to get for their dollar is going to get smaller. Hundred percent, and and if you own property, because when we first started entering the St. Catharines market, we were we were happy at the the uh, the single family homes because the single family homes were cash flowing, and we were like these are great kind of just long term rentals. But then if you're if you're an owner of the asset and you get to chop it into two, like you're describing, Felix, your income goes from eighteen hundred dollars to thirty three hundred dollars. Your income's skyrocketing because you're an asset owner. Like it, it's yeah. absolutely crazy. You know what I just thought about? It also, it's not just the size of it. Some In some cases, it's the quality of the product because they changed the laws. It was a while ago now, but now there's there's kind of low-rise you know, buildings or stacked towns that are going up wood-framed, whereas those things couldn't be wood-framed before. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, there I think it's up to four-story now. Yeah. When I drive by them and I see the wood-framed four-stories, yeah. I'm always kind of looking at them a little suspiciously. Right, and there used to be steel there. So, I mean, that's a cheaper product that you're totally. getting as well. So it could be less room. And I just, I guess I've never really kind of Pe- yeah, put that piece together, but there's less, that too. Less, less quality on it. So Felix, on your, I just want to get some more examples. Did you do a triplex out in St. Catharines? So simultaneously while I was doing the one in, uh, in uh, St. Catharines, I picked up a property in Welland that I converted. That was the very first. Is this the one we've talked about before that you were battling for a little while? Is that that one? Were, well, the one that actually, no, there was actually the St. Catharines. There was the St. Catharines property. I would love to see a, an inspector go in and talk to Felix and Felix uh-huh. argue with the guy about why everything's right in his second suite and why the inspector's wrong. Those, <laughs> those was, have been pretty epic. I'm sure some inspectors have walked out of your property be, just beat, beaten into submission. Just, All right, fine. Here, fine. It's approved. Here you go. Man. You win. Actually, it was a, I was arguing with the chief building officer for the city of St. Catharines who yeah. went on my... I I think I remember twice. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but simultaneously, I picked up a property in Welland. I've never done a three-unit conversion. Kind of looked at it going, okay, it's a 1,400 square foot, uh, four-level side split with separate entrances already in there. And I'm going, can I do this? So I contacted the city. They said, yeah, no problem. Um, and the funny thing is, when you think about three-unit conversions right now, a lot of people think that they're still kind of in the pipeline. You can't do them just yet which is generally true uh, for the vast majority of Ontario, but there are a few municipalities that already allow them. St. Catharines being one of them? No. Who else? So, sorry, Welland. Welland. Kitchener is getting pretty darn close to them. Okay. Uh, Barrie, I believe, is one of them as well. Um, but uh, the Hamilton, government Hamilton's close. They're in the study phase, but they'll they'll be. I do things a little bit differently though. So when when I talk about three units, I mean yes, we know the, we know you do things a little differently. Oh, you're talking in the house. In the you house, talking? you're talking about garden suites, uh, yeah, coach yeah, houses, and stuff talking, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're not, talking in the house. I do. I do. Oh, I got you. So I do things a bit more efficiently than that because that's actually a pretty expensive. So maybe for the benefit of your listeners, just because you can do something right now does not mean you should do it. So, for example, if it will cost you $100,000 to convert one of these uh, garden suites, let's say a coach house, into a third unit, 
I'd say hold off on that for now. In a city like Toronto, it makes sense because the price points basically justify it. In a city like Hamilton, if you're going to spend $100,000, you're probably better off to going and buying yourself another property for that price point and leaving that project for some time in the future, right? Because you're going to get the bigger bang for your buck because now you have two properties that will appreciate in value, more cash flow, and yada, yada, yada. Um, for a city like Toronto, it makes perfect sense. We're not there but yet. You think you think costs are going to come down on building one of those, or rents are going to go up? No, I'm saying that the property values are going to get to the such a uh, to such high stratospheric levels eventually, to the point where we'll eventually all get kind of priced out of the market with respect to buying a house to convert. Let's say your so money. Get it so now buy so while you can. can. In, so you can put it in later. Buy while oh, you can, you. but at the same time, you know you have limited resources, limited to capital and limited to credit. So. That $100,000 would be better spent by buying another property versus doing one of these projects immediately. In the city of Toronto, if you're choosing to invest in Toronto, it makes perfect sense to do one of those type of projects. I do th things a little bit differently, much more efficiently, much less costly. I usually use the existing building envelope. So forget about the secondary building structure on, on the property. I usually take an existing house, use the existing building envelope without putting in any additions and split that into three units. So walk us through those that Welland example. So the way that I, it, it works, let's say you have a four-level side split. Those are kind of my go-to, but I've, I've done several projects basically outside of the, the four-level side splits. I've done ones with additions. Uh, I've converted a single-car attached garage, actually, that's only about 234 square feet into a third unit, which is a one-bedroom, full one-bedroom unit that's only 234 square Jeez, feet in size. Okay. And it's legal. Uh, again, within Welland. Um, I like how you came out. It's legal. Anyone <laughs> judging me right now? If anyone out there is judging me, just know it's legal. Yeah. Okay. okay, so... The neighbor, um, in that type of scenario, I'm curious just because I know sometimes neighbors aren't happy even if there's a second unit putting in and there's two two people living there. With a third unit, do you ever get... Like, have neighbors ever come and said, what are you what doing are you here? Do? It's not... The garage isn't supposed to be a third unit? Well, they can I know it's legal, but I'm just saying, you, do you get the, that type of feedback at all, or... The feedback... Okay, so the feedback that I'm getting right now, it's not really the... The neighbors had an issue with the parking, so uh, in that specific property, they're thinking that we were parking very close to their edge of their property. They decided to get a surveyor out there, and they kind of shot themselves in the foot, because when the surveyor came out, a portion of their driveway actually belonged to us. <laughs> Jeez. So after that, that was the last we heard of them. Um, the issue is the garage unit, we structured it as, so I, I layered a three unit conversion project and w went one step further by converting the garage unit into a short-term rental. So we're getting some complaints from the, the, uh, the tenants upstairs, I see. not the ones downstairs, the tenants upstairs. Um, but I think that's specific to that specific tenant. Uh, it's like one of these tenants that will just complain about anything. Walk me through the numbers on this property. Um, I'm not going to ask you. This is my third time trying to get the numbers. Sure. <laughs> Uh, which one? Uh, the first one? The Welland one. The, the Welland they're, they're both in Welland. The Welland, give me, just to paint the picture of the three. The garage. The garage. The 200 square foot garage one. Is that one? If just, you want, if you, I'll, I'll give you both. I just want I'll, the typical tripod, the, the one that you converted into okay. three units. Then we can add the on the first garage. one. Yeah. Okay. We bought that property for $387,500. Um, we spent, because now we actually converted the whole, the entire property into a mini hotel. There's no longer tenants. It's all short-term rental. But if you're looking at basically converting it into a three-unit, budget around 150000 in today's okay. budgets. Um, we're bringing in, even if as, as a long-term rental, we'd be pulling it around 4850 a month in gross rent. 4850 So what am I looking at 58 k per year. 
Yeah, 58. And, and then a month on each of those units, I'm looking at roughly six, seven, what is that? 1700 bucks, something like that? 1700 to 2000. To 2000 per unit. And you think. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, 1450 for. Uh, so the smaller units are each two bedrooms each. And the main floor unit is a three large 1400 square foot three, uh, three bedroom. Uh, main floor unit, we can easily get 1950 a month for plus hydro. Uh, lower levels, we can get 1450. Like you can take that to the bank. You can probably even get so higher. So 1950 and two 1450s. Plus hydro. In the one property. And then the reason you're not running it as a long-term rental is you just thought there's more of an opportunity as short-term rental. Well, it gave us an opportunity to start dabbling in the short-term rentals because the way that the numbers worked is the first two units allowed us to be cash flow positive. The main floor and one of the smaller units allowed us to be cash flow positive, which means that any even if you were generating $1 out of the third unit, that's pure profit. Um, so we decided to test it out, test out the waters with a short-term rental within well-end of all places, right? Because we, yeah, that's, and, and you got this for, you're renting this out short-term rental. So we did so well, basically our first year that as the other tenants started moving out, we decided to convert all the other units into short-term. So rentals. on that particular property, just stay with this one property for a little bit here. Mm -hmm. So when you convert it to a short-term rental, you did that right through COVID when the COVID era too, who's renting it out for a short-term rental and how long are they renting it out for? So we were shut down just like everybody else. In Ontario for three months. Uh, we just finished converting literally in February of this year the, the main floor units uh, when the tenants moved out. So we were kind of shut out for nearly six months as far as rent was concerned. But once we re reopened, um, Why were you shut out for three months? Uh, the the province of Ontario shut down all short-term oh, rentals. Oh, short-term rentals. Sorry. I thought you were shut down from doing some work. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, there were complications as well because, you know, hardware stores, the only way you can order is online, pick it up. It, it was okay, just but like, you were shut down. And then now what's happening? Oddly enough, because this specific property had rad heating, we are actually a heck of a lot more enticing than anything else basically on the market, even hotels, because we have no shared airflow. There's no elevators to basically stick around. Everybody's basically have fully contained units without any shared airflow. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's perfect for self-isolation. In fact, the only place that uh, any, any of our guests basically would see each other is basically in the parking lot. So who rents it? So right now, because um, you know travel restrictions imposed by, the, uh, by Canada, it shifted between last year was mainly international people coming in like tourists who would normally go and uh, check out Ni Niagara region, Niagara Falls. That's, that's kind of right. what I would expect in that area. Yeah. Niagara on the lake, Niagara Falls, don't Correct. want to stay in a hotel. All right, there's this Airbnb in Welland, I'll check it out. Yeah, you can, you, you can rent a full two bedroom suite, like including washer, dryer, everything basically for less than what it cost you to do for a hotel room in Niagara Falls. Let's and say. were you renting it out to those types of people? Yes. How yes. much were you getting then? Um, so back then our... Anywhere from about, during the height of the tour season, it was about 4500 to $5,000 a month for the smaller units. So the two-bedroom basement unit, we were getting 4500 to $5,000 a month in the months of July, August. So as a property, that three-unit... I don't have the full year uh, numbers only because of all the restrictions associated with pandemic. So the market has shifted. So right now it's not international people coming in there. Um, but again, due to travel restrictions, we kept people out, <laughs> out of the country, but at the same time, we prevented people from going out of the country. So right now the market has shifted to staycationers. So somebody who's in Toronto wants to get away. Um, we actually created separate, uh, patio areas. Each one of the units has their own natural gas barbecue. Um, literally, I mean, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal And place. how much are you renting them out for? Uh, so again, uh, very, very similar. We were actually, our vacancy rate was only 10, 20% max. Um, the gross suffered a little bit, 
Um, it went down to about 4,000, 4,500 between instead of 4,500. And just so I'm clear, that's 4,000 to 4,500. Just for, for one. For one of the units the small, in this the small three units. unit Correct. home that you've divided into three. Correct. Normally, so, normally so when you looking, think this is fully running, you're telling me that this one property is going to generate like twelve to $14,000 a month? Uh, we could if it was like 100% occupancy. No, I get it. I get it. And, but I'm just speaking in hypotheticals. Budget, budget, but, or, budget, we usually budget about double what you'd receive in, as a straight rental. So $10,000 call. And then the, the length of stay on average is how long? In the summer times, they're much more frequent turnover. Okay. This time of year, however, so I'll give you an example this year. I have real life examples. Now, outside of the tourist area in Niagara Falls, as most people know, you come into the winter time. You know, it's a feast or famine type of environment with respect to the tourist industry there and the, and the hotels. Um, summertime, they kick ass, right? Winter time, there it's like uh, everybody's suffering essentially. That's why you're getting all these beautiful deals from all these hotels in Niagara Falls. So the the nature of the guest staying during the winter time shifts. It's more contractors working locally like coming in from out of town to work. So the length of time is, is longer. Is longer. Um, we actually have a person whose house burned down literally across the street from one of my other clients' houses. And uh, poor people, and she lost her mom literally a week later as well. It was just a horrible situation, but we, we try to make, it, make her life as easy as possible, essentially. We said, we got you covered. Um, the short-term rental sites kind of flagged them. We, we actually had them staying in two of our other units while we were waiting for the larger unit to open up. And the, for the larger unit, they got flagged by uh, one of the short-term rental sites where they said, nope, we're not willing to basically uh, accept the reservation. So we actually had to convert them. We're saying, don't Why worry. Why were they being flagged? They have, Are short-term rentals not allowed in Welland? So there's, there's, there's new rules that have been placed, uh, put in place to avoid parties, uh, like these party houses. And, we, oh, and we don't want partiers to begin with, right? And unfortunately, if anybody's d doing short-term rentals, Try to avoid basically doing short-term rentals of full houses or or larger units because they're more conducive to party animals. They'll swear to God that they're only coming there with family, a couple of babies. I get it, but that, so these sites then are not allowing bookings if somehow they feel it's for a weekend, so it might be a party the, gathering. The AI within the within the the short-term rental site had flagged them saying that there could be. But you're allowed to be on the short-term rental site correct, in Welland. Correct. And you, you think all this, I guess just because the revenue potential is so high, it's better than just doing long-term rental on this thing? Well, I always look at these type of opportunities with uh, the, the site. Look what happened in Toronto, essentially. You know, a city can come in, put, put in bylaws in place, restricting them altogether, right? Uh, Welland, actually, they, they came in with uh, uh, an interpretation by the city that essentially restricts short-term rentals in residential neighborhoods. There's now, they're only technically only allowed within the downtown core. So the, the reason why I'm not too concerned about that is because if, for whatever reason, the city shuts us down, we can always convert it back to a long-term rental and still generate about $2,000 in cash flow a month. Got it. Right? Got so it's it, it, it just better now. But even if we have to go backwards and basically make them into long-term rentals, no problem. Or midterm rentals. I mean, that's the other thing. So Because then you have, I just in my mind, I'm like, I think Nick and I would be more like, oh, let's just do long-term rentals. Because I'm just thinking, holy smokes, i got to dodge all these things. And then... I have to have cleaners coming in. I guess you have local people who you're hiring. You're, you're basically running a little hotel. For sure. But, uh, but there's companies that specialize in that. The property managers that specialize in yeah, are short-term. Oh, yeah. That's and then short-term rental management. And they go in, they leave a little... 
bottles of uh, shampoo and a little tube of toothpaste or whatever. Like that's that's what they do, especially in in downtown. Can you imagine you said shampoo and it was just Felix's face on the thing. It's like <laughs> welcome to, and they were just named. <laughs> it was just Felix Don't smiling. Don't any ideas. Just I can Felix. see that. No, because I can see him doing yeah. it too. Well, we do provide goodies. I mean, like we actually manage them remotely. Uh, we have a local cleaner that basically takes care of everything. We actually even pair a little bit extra to take out the trash during trash days and bring it back. The only time that I have to go in there is uh, this property also had two detached garages and we split one of the detached garages, it was a double garage, into three. One we made into a... a three separate units for people? If, no. if we were talking to my BCIN, he, yeah. he, he, he jokes with me all the time. He's like going, look, Felix, you can do another fourth or fifth unit. Holy smokes, and, and, and don't joke, actually, because like one of my clients just picked up a property doing a conversion. I told him to contact the city, get... Uh, there's Felix a is a reality TV show here. So there's some reality TV show due to be made here. Well, but, the other uh, thing is they had a large detached garage in the backyard. And I asked contact the city, or even I contacted the city on their behalf, and I said, hey, this large detached two-car garage in the backyard, can you convert that into a third unit? They're like, go for it. Okay, so so all this stuff, you're doing all these properties, you start you know, getting properties when you're young, then you take a bit of a break, you, get your re- you buy some more properties, get your real estate license, now you've kind of figured out really different niches that you wanna tackle in the market. Where do you see the market going in the next 10 years? In this area, uh, what's bon- your perspective on it? Bonkers, uh, and, I mean, and and why? Um, again, you're looking at a lack of affordability all across the Greater Golden Horseshoe region. Um, let's say you're working in Toronto, but your income is 80k a year. Okay, well the reality is, and let's say you have a family, let's say you have four, you know, wife, husband, two kids. The reality is, if you need a house, I mean, the only thing you might be able to afford there is maybe like a 500 square foot condo, but there's no way in heck you're going to be able to accommodate that n- number of people. So what's what's happening within uh, within the market is you have individuals such as that, because very few people actually make more than that on a family income. I think based on 2016 census numbers, the family income in the GTA, I believe it was like 72 or 76,000 uh, was uh, per year as an average. So in light of that, who the heck can afford any of, uh, who the heck can find affordable housing options within the GTA, right? If you have like a family of four. So now they're forced to essentially look elsewhere. They're like going, okay, our budget is X, but our need is Y. So how far do we need to go to accommodate our budget and, and make it consistent with the Y? The Y essentially is basically the housing that would meet our needs. So what's happening is a lot of these individuals are willing to commute all the way from places, even like Welland, back into the GTA. And I know this because I had uh, a a client meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning. One of our short-term rentals was actually vacant, uh, the garage unit. Um, And I decided to take off, like, I was working late, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I'm going, geez, I have to be in Welland at 8. So I decided to actually get in the car and actually take off to Welland <laughs> at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning. And as I'm getting... actually, I'm telling no, you, there's a reality TV show here with <laughs> Felix Wurtzman, camera crew following you around. Okay, so you go to Welland at 1 in the morning. Actually, no, it was 2.30 in the morning. 2.30 in the morning. You're off to Welland. I'm off to Welland. And I'm going, okay, screw it. I'm going to just basically crash on a couch in one of our short-term rentals and basically wake up and, and take off, right? And as I'm getting to Victoria Avenue, which is... Um, Vineland? I don't know if you know yeah, what that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
I, I like to take more of the scenic routes, essentially. Uh, it only has like about... How two scenic th- is it at, by that time? 3.30 <laughs> three in the morning. It's a whole route scenic it's, it's, at that point. It's, it's beautiful. No, it's, you know what? It's like the multi-lane highways, whatever. I'm not really crazy about How have about we crossed paths with Felix? You, de- you just definitely what marched What can you your, see on a dark yeah. country roads at 3.30 in the morning? Like, Bambi, you know. Like, a deer is running uh, from him. I was, lo- I was looking to hit a, um, a dinner. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, but, but what was... Uh, what was really interesting, I got to Vineland, you know, the exit you get off of the QEW, and I started going south towards Welland at that stage. And what really fazed me is the, the amount of traffic going northwards towards the QEW. It was, I was going south. Astonishing, I was the yeah. only car basically going southwards. It was like a nonstop headlights basically going all the way north at, at bloody 4, 30, 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the morning. And all of these individuals are basically uh, traveling from Welland or Niagara region. Yeah, to somewhere in the GTA. To somewhere in the G- GTA. And then they take off, obviously, but they start work early and they take off, let's say, at 2, 3 o'clock to go back home, effectively, to avoid the... the so what do you think about this as, as we begin to wrap here? What do, what do you think about this? Uh, trends change and, I don't know, a lot of families uh, on their have a young family, first child, professionals in Toronto, and they're like, forget it. We were going to stay in Toronto an extra five years, but we're leaving early and we're going to be moving to Brantford, now because that's where we can afford we were going to move five years from now but we're moving now are we just getting a lot of the future demand and future appreciation just crushed right into us right now and maybe it plateaus for a little bit um well actually the pandemic kind of exasperated it's been happening for a number of years now the the pandemic has actually accelerated the trend even more so because people who were let's say living in the gta were living in these condos and everything that they loved about the urban condo basically in toronto was shut down Theaters shut down, entertainment centers shut down, sporting events shut down, even your local restaurants shut down, and even the local amenity, the amenities within the buildings, pools, exercise rooms shut down. And they found themselves in a square foot box, 500 square foot box, forced to self-isolate, literally sitting in a prison cell. And so what transpired is once the first set of lockdowns kind of diminished, people felt that uh, there was a massive demand of people saying, the heck with this, I don't want this, I need backyard space, I need outdoor space. And they started, started to look for more low-rise uh, option, uh, low, low options as opposed to high-rise. And that's just exactly looking for that 234 luxurious 234 square feet. <laughs> anyone that's anyone that's been in a prison cell is going to be happily take the condo just for the record. Because if anyone's listening, and you're yeah, saying like yeah. it's in a prison cell, it's you know we, we so we got to be conscious of, of that because uh, some people 100 are would be would jump Thrill. at the opportunity yeah. to be in a 500 square foot condo. But with, right? with with four people in a household, that's going to be tough. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Felix is just saying if you have the all. if you have the ability, you you're deciding you want to get out. I guess where I'm coming from is yeah, we know that we know that i'm just wondering if we're just getting a lot of the uh the movement now and maybe it plateaus a little bit but maybe then that's offset by future population growth and you're poo-pooing the garage by the way <laughs> how, how much what was the most you've ever rented your garage uh, a single car no garage you beat us you I, beat I, us I, i'll be honest i i am so i'm like the worst investor for that because i don't try to squeeze every dollar to the property never rented i rented a so i rented like, a garage I just give it to someone I'm like here you guys want to use it just take it i rented yeah, one of it. our garages out for 80 dollars a month so that's my record and i haven't done it for a long oh, time do we share that property? No, that one is know. different. Oh, one. okay. Because no, no, yeah, no. I didn't even know about yeah, it. No, no, that one isn't it. So, as a short-term rental, our first months of op- month of operation, we got a gross of twenty-nine fifty. As one, a short-term rental on in that one month. month, yeah. 
So you crushed me by multiples, <laughs> 20 10 times, a, three, 300 times. <laughs> Jesus. So yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that this is, and again, as a short-term rental, it works. Because, I mean, like, if you look at your typical hotel room, it's approximately that no, size. No, no, I get it. Right? And someone who's working in that area needs a place to crash. And, of course, it's, it's yeah. going to make sense for them. And the way we market it is as, you know, the whole tiny home movement, effectively. The reason why it's so popular is it gives people an opportunity to, uh, to experience what would it feel like to live in a tiny home. Yeah, when you market it like that, actually, that's a that's a pretty good way to market that. It's probably one of the best ways to to market that. So, Felix, always, uh, you know what? I love chatting with you because you will come at it from completely come at things from different angles than Nick and I will come at things from. So, really appreciate you sharing your views. My pleasure. So, thank you for sharing this. If someone wants to uh, find you, what's the easiest way? Do you want to hand out email? Um, website, you you tell us. Um, yeah, anybody who wants to reach out to me can uh, do so via my email. It's uh, Felix at uh, cloud9life. That's C L O U D, the number nine, life.ca. Um, I'm also available. Uh, I have a web page, um, a Facebook page by the same name. So you're more than welcome to Cloud look. Nine Life on Facebook. Cloud9life.ca. Uh, is, is, a, is a Facebook page that I have uh, where I provide market commentary, uh, you know, trends and give people a flavor of what I do essentially. So I post videos in there as well with my latest renovation projects, um, pr provide people with some ideas, some insights, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because you know, uh, I wanna make sure that people understand exactly what, the, what they're getting themselves into. Um, I wanna make sure that they have excellent information to enable them to make an informed decision. Right. Yeah, that's one thing that you do do. You're never sugarcoating anything. You're always no. you're always telling people, hey, here's what you have to watch out for. Yeah, like. And if there are any TV producers listening, I think there is a TV show here. Look at with his Felix. smile. Look yeah, how he happy knows. That yeah, he knows. I'm just still thinking about that inspector in the some unit that you're battling back and forth. Yeah. I could see you with a mirror of a city going back and forth with. And anyway, we have to wrap. Felix, thank you very much. Totally appreciate you doing this. Thank, thank you for you. having me. That, it's been great. Hey everyone, it's Tom Krads again. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Felix. If you are listening to this and you want some more real estate information for yourself because you're trying to figure out if you get your first property, if you buy another property, if you sell the properties you, you do have, whatever it is you're trying to figure out, you can find some great information at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>